Let's hear God's word, beginning with 2 Kings 11, verse 1. When Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal heirs. But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being murdered. And they hid him and his nurse in the bedroom from Athaliah so that he was not killed. So he was hidden with her in the house of the Lord for six years while Athaliah reigned over the land. In the seventh year, Jehoiada sent and brought the captains of hundreds of the bodyguards and the escorts and brought them into the house of the Lord to him. And he made a covenant with them and took an oath from them in the house of the Lord and showed them the king's son. Then he commanded them, saying, This is what you shall do. One third of you who come on duty on the Sabbath shall be keeping watch over the king's house. One third shall be at the gate of Sur and one third at the gate behind the escorts. You shall keep the watch of the house, lest it be broken down. The two contingents of you who go off duty on the Sabbath shall keep the watch of the house of the Lord for the king. But you shall surround the king on all sides, every man with his weapons in his hand. And whoever comes within range, let him be put to death. You are to be with the king as he goes out and as he comes in. So the captains of the hundreds did according to all that Jehoiada the priest commanded. Each of them took his men who were to be on duty on the Sabbath with those who were going off duty on the Sabbath and came to Jehoiada the priest. And the priest gave the captains of hundreds the spears and shields which had belonged to King David that were in the temple of the Lord. Then the escort stood, every man with his weapons in his hand, all around the king from the right side of the temple to the left side of the temple by the altar and the house. And he brought out the king's son, put the crown on him and gave him the testimony. They made him king and anointed him and they clapped their hands and said, Long live the king. Now when Athaliah heard the noise of the escorts and the people, she came to the people in the temple of the Lord. When she looked, there was the king standing by a pillar according to custom. And the leaders and the trumpeters were by the king. All the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets. So Athaliah tore her clothes and cried out, Treason! Treason! And Jehoiada the priest commanded the captains of the hundreds, the officers of the army, and said to them, Take her outside under guard and slay with the sword whoever follows her. For the priest had said, Do not let her be killed in the house of the Lord. So they seized her, and she went by way of the horse's entrance into the king's house, and there she was killed. Then Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord, the king, and the people, that they should be the Lord's people, and also between the king and the people. And all the people of the land went to the temple of Baal and tore it down. They thoroughly broke in pieces its altars and images, and killed Matin, the priest of Baal, before the altars. And the priests appointed officers over the house of the Lord. And the priests appointed officers over the house of the Lord. Then he took the captains of hundreds, the bodyguard, the escorts, and all the people of the land. And they brought the king down from the house of the Lord and went by way of the gate of the escorts to the king's house. Then he sat on the throne of the kings. So all the people of the land rejoiced and the city was quiet for they had slain Athaliah with the sword in the king's house. Jehoash was seven years old when he became king. Amen. We'll end our reading there at the end of Second Kings 11. Let's once again ask for God's help in prayer. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we ask that as we come to this portion of your word here too, you would be pleased to grant us light, grant us understanding. And Lord, we pray that this understanding would be fruitful in our lives, that it would help us to avoid discouragement and dismay, that you would use your word this morning to help us to be bold and very courageous, that as we meditate upon your word, it would have its proper effect 
in believers' hearts of giving us renewed strength. Lord, we know that we cannot accomplish this by ourselves, so we trust in your mercy and we look to you to do what we need today. In Jesus' name, amen. As you may remember, we are in a series looking at conflict between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. That conflict was promised, was predicted in Genesis 3.15. We saw from Genesis chapter 4 how the first example of that kind of conflict really illuminates how the seed of the serpent is going to function. Now, there's many passages in between that we could have alluded to. When Ishmael made fun of Isaac, there was conflict between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. When Esau was plotting to kill Jacob, there was conflict between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. If you would like to fast forward, when Moses was born under a sentence of death, when Pharaoh pronounced sentence against all the male children of Israel, there was definitely conflict between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Or when Amalek attacked Israel in the wilderness, when Goliath the Philistine came out to defy the armies of the living God, those were all instances where there was conflict between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Obviously, we have to be selective or we'd wind up preaching on a great many of the texts in the Bible. But we come to 2 Kings chapter 11 this morning for a couple of reasons. One is the clarity and the extremity of this conflict. When God chose to first announce the gospel, not directly to Adam and Eve, but to let them overhear it as he pronounced a curse on the serpent. And when God chose to put that gospel promise in terms of conflict, it communicated a very powerful message. It communicated that salvation, redemption, deliverance from sin and everything else is going to be a conflict, a battle, a war. And that calls upon us to have a military mindset. Last week, we considered that in terms of the reality that there will be casualties. We have to be prepared for that. We have to persevere in spite of that. We can't let the casualties slow us down or derail us. And here again, we see how intense this conflict can be and how the dividing line is really going to be allegiance to the seed of the woman or allegiance to the seed of the serpent. Those are fundamentally the only choices. And so we come to consider this passage today, not a complete consideration, but a selective consideration of it. Well, you remember how it begins. We just read that a moment ago. Ahaziah was killed. He was the king of Judah. Now, you remember the background at this time. Judah and Israel have divided into two different nations. And in Israel, there was a dynasty of King Amri. And he rose to power, and he's actually mentioned by other countries around in their annals. He made a splash in geopolitical history, so to speak. Well, from a biblical point of view, his son Ahab is more notorious, more well-known. Ahab was a disaster. Ahab married Jezebel. Ahab listened to Jezebel. And Ahab tried to make Baal worship the official state religion 
of the northern nation of Israel. God raised up Jehu to wipe out Ahab's dynasty and to politically, externally at least, bring Israel back to where they ought to be. They didn't have a complete reformation, but at least they avoided Baal worship. Now, Israel and Judah had been getting closer while Ahab and his progeny were the kings in Israel to the degree that one of the kings of Judah married Ahab and Jezebel's daughter. And that is who we're talking about when we read in 2 Kings 11, 1, when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, who is Athaliah? She is Ahab and Jezebel's daughter. That's who she is. Jehu killed Ahaziah. He had gone to Israel. And while well, Jehu was exterminating other affiliates of the house of Ahab, of his dynasty, he went ahead and took care of Ahaziah. Now, Athaliah, his mother, gets up, and it says that she destroyed all the royal heirs or all the royal seed, all the seed of the kingdom would be another way to render that. Now, think about who she is. She is the king's mother. So when she's destroying the king's sons, who is she killing? She is killing her own grandchildren. That's who she's killing. Now, she may be putting other people to death as well. She might be putting to death additional auxiliary branches of the family, but she's definitely targeting her own grandchildren here. And she does this so that she can seize the reins of power. She does this so that she can be the queen of Judah. And to all appearances, she succeeded. She reigned for six years. Only one child escaped. Now, here, the conflict between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent is pretty evident, right? God had promised to David that from his descendants, God would raise up someone who would reign forever. Athaliah goes right after that promise. She tries to exterminate everybody who could possibly be a fulfillment of that promise. Athaliah is clearly working for the serpent, how consciously that was the case, I don't know. But she is working for the serpent here. And her commitment to working for the serpent, her desire for power, overrides family considerations. Now, Ahaziah's brothers had been killed by some roving Arabians and others who came with them. So when Athaliah goes and kills her own grandchildren... The line of David has been narrowed down very dangerously. But one little boy, sometimes called Jehoash, sometimes that name is given in the abbreviated form of Joash, one little boy survived. Now, he's a baby at the time of this massacre. He's about one year old. And he's protected, not by himself, not by anything he does, but by his aunt, Jehoshaphat. She's married to Jehoiada, the high priest. So first she's able to take this little baby and his nurse, and she's able to hide them. It says in a bedchamber, some people think that this was like a linen closet, a place for storing blankets and mattresses and so forth, which would be a good place to hide because 
You could build a little tent and muffle any crying or anything like that. And who's going to turn over all the mattresses? But one little child escaped. Now, before we move on, I just want to pause here a moment so we can let the reality of this really sink in. God's promises are riding on the survival of the seed of David. David's seed has explicitly been attacked, and it's reduced to one little one-year-old baby. He's got very little on his side. He's got his nurse, the lady who took care of him. He's got his aunt, and he's got his uncle. And that's it. And they hide him in the temple for six years. So for six years, everybody except those three people, what were they thinking had happened to God's promise about raising up a seed of David? I'm not assuming everybody was thinking about it or everybody was worried about it. But if you had been living in Israel or in Judah at that time, if you had been a believer, if you had found the promise of God's covenant to David, something precious to you, what would you be going through in those six years? Presumably, Athaliah overlooked the fact that one of her grandchildren escaped. She thought she had succeeded. It looked like the seed of the serpent had won. The royal seed was almost annihilated. And as far as public knowledge went, the royal seed had been annihilated. From where could anyone rise to challenge Athaliah's rule? From where could anyone rise to be the fulfillment of God's promise? Dark times. Very difficult days. Now, before we move on, I think there's a couple of applications that emerge out of this. How did Athaliah come to be in a position to attack the royal seed? It was because of mixed marriages. It was because royalty from Judah married royalty from Israel. And the status, the politics mattered more to them than the piety, more than the belief, more than the character. How did such an evil woman come to be reigning over God's chosen kingdom? It was because of marriages that were not made, if you'll excuse the anachronism, along confessional lines. So let me say this to everybody who is single, to everybody who has marriage in mind, whether in the near term or in the long term. There's a lot of things to look for in a spouse. And there's no question that being single is challenging. It can be very hard and very painful. But the pain of singleness is not the same as the pain of a mixed marriage. Marrying outside of Christian belief is a great way to cut the rod for your own back. It is a terrible, terrible, terrible mistake. What happened here? There was a royal alliance. There was a political marriage. And they brought the seed of the serpent into the palace. And she then was in a position to almost annihilate all the seed royal. She would have succeeded if it hadn't been for Jehoshaphat. 
That is not the kind of marriage you want to get into. It is most important that the Christian character and Christian commitment of a spouse be very, very clear, very, very evident. I do not want any of the young people to settle for, well, they say they're Christians. Well, you know, their behavior isn't too bad. Please don't settle for that. You need somebody who is all out committed. And you need to match their level of commitment, by the way. That's the other way to look at it. How are you going to attract somebody who is 100% committed to the Lord? Well, it's not by being 50% committed yourself. You need to be all out, entirely committed. And you need not to settle for anything less than that in a spouse and somebody you're interested in. So there's a practical application, but there's also this reality. It seemed that God's promise had failed, that hope had died, that David's kingdom had been extinguished. I don't know what Athaliah's plans were for a succession. Maybe she thought she could bring in some relative from the Sidonians. Maybe she thought she could have another child. I don't know how old she was at this point. I don't know what her plans were for that. In political and earthly terms, that would matter. But remember, she's really working for the serpent, whether she knows it or not. The serpent isn't worried about Athaliah. He doesn't care what happens to her. She's just a useful tool. So for this time, it looks like God's purpose has failed. His promise has been defeated. David's kingdom has been ultimately overthrown. But there was hope. That hope rested in a little child growing up hidden in a back room in the temple, carefully kept out of view. For us as well, we can look around and we can be discouraged. I liked what it said in the hymn we sang, God rest you merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Why should we let nothing dismay us? Why should nothing dishearten or discourage us? Because Christ has been born. God's purposes were once again narrowed down to just one vulnerable little child. And yet, from that, what a glorious thing resulted. And so we move on in our passage to see that after six years had gone by, Jehoiada called together a select group of leaders He got them on oath, first of all, and then he showed them that the kingdom of David had not ended. He showed them that there was still hope. He showed them that the seed of the woman had not been eliminated. And he got them on board to turn the whole situation around. So they made their arrangements for how to make sure that the life of this child was protected. Part of it involved the fact that since priests and Levites worked by turns, Instead of sending the people who were off duty home, they kept them there until they had a pretty significant fighting force. Part of it was arming them from the stash of weapons, presumably that David had dedicated to the Lord as demonstrations that God had given him victory in battle. So he'd set aside the weapons they'd taken from God's enemies and those had been warehoused in the temple and now they were available at this moment of need. And then Jehoiada went through the ceremonies for Joash or Jehoash to be formally anointed and crowned and proclaimed and recognized as king. 
So he was hidden and preserved until the proper moment, but then he was revealed and enthroned. What a day that must have been. It talks about how Athaliah came into the temple and saw the people rejoicing and blowing trumpets. Hope had been born again. The kingdom had been restored. They were celebrating. But what did that mean for Athaliah? What did that mean for this instrument of the serpent? Well, she rips her clothes and cries out treason. Can you imagine the gall of this woman? She ascends to the throne after the death of her son by killing her grandchildren and usurping. By taking over, we find out that she had tried to institute Baal worship as the official worship of the kingdom of Judah, at least as an alternative system of worship. And she dares to accuse them of treason She's the traitor. She's the one who's gone about this all wrong. She's the murderer. But she accuses others of wrongdoing. That's so typical. You know, those who have a guilty conscience are quick to think of things and are quick to accuse you of the things they're doing. This was a desperate power play, a desperate attempt to remain in power, to tell people that they were wrong and hope that they would correct themselves. But it didn't work. The time had come for God's promise to again be visibly seen. And so what actually happened was that she got escorted off of the sacred precincts and she was killed. And then the priest of Baal, who may well have been her right-hand man, was also killed. And the kingdom was restored. Now, you definitely see from all of this that the conflict between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent is not a minor matter. This is not a thumb-wrestling match or a friendly game of chess. This is war. People die in the war. And it's not just the seed of the woman who dies, is it? There's also vengeance. There's also judgment. There's also justice exacted. That's there in the terms of the original promise. He, the seed of the woman, shall bruise your head. Satan And Satan's minions are going to be defeated and destroyed. There's a passage in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 63, where the servant of the Lord, a prediction of the Lord Jesus Christ, comes from Edom with his garments stained red. His garments are not stained red because he's been bleeding. His garments are stained red because he's been trampling on God's enemies. It's stained with the blood spatters of the winepress of the wrath of Almighty God. God is serious about this war. God will do what it takes to win this war. And part of winning the war is killing the enemy. You see that here. Athaliah had to die. Matin had to die. All who serve the seed of the serpent will die. Now, as we saw in the case of Eve... God rescues people from his enemies and he makes them into his friends. Eve had partnered with the serpent. Eve had believed the serpent. Eve had gone along with the serpent. But God put enmity between her and the serpent. Well, God continues to do that for us. We have all been rescued from siding with the serpent, from being on his side in order to be on the seed of the woman. But those who are not rescued, those who are persistent in their choice, of the serpent, they will be judged. 
Now, in a way, that's hard news. It's good news because it means the serpent is not going to prevail. But it's not our favorite part of the good news, is it? Not usually. But it's important to know. It's important not to lose sight of. It's important to proclaim to others. It's important to bear in mind for ourselves. But along with that, there's also the glorious truth. The seed of the woman may be almost annihilated. The seed of the woman may be hidden, may be under wraps. No one may know how God's promises and purposes will be fulfilled and carried out. But that doesn't mean that they have failed. We should not be dismayed. It is so easy these days to find reasons for discouragement. There's a lot of trends that seem to go in a downward direction. But do you really believe that the seed of the serpent will prevail? That would be a sin. That would be giving way to despair. And that is never appropriate for God's people. We know how the story ends. We know what has happened. We know that Christ came. We know that Christ was killed. We know that his disciples were on the verge of despair. But he prayed for them that their faith would not fail. And then we know he rose again and he met with them and he empowered them and they turned the world upside down according to the testimony of their enemies. We've seen the end of the story here. Athaliah would seem to have thought she had succeeded. For six years, her reign was untroubled by threats. I hope it was a little troubled by a guilty conscience, but honestly, you can't be sure about that. Not with somebody like this. But she was overthrown. However strong the wrong seems to be, God is the ruler yet. His promises have not failed and his purposes will not be defeated. In the conflict between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, The seed of the woman ultimately prevails. Now, obviously, we see that that's not an easy process. That's a real battle. But he does prevail, and he prevails in us. There is one more word of application as we conclude. A grandmother slaughtered her own grandchildren. That's a horrible thing. That's... A vile thing. I mean, it's hard to imagine something worse than that. In some ways, the fact that it was a grandmother almost makes it worse than if it had been their mother because we're used to thinking of our grandmas as sweet, gentle, wonderful people. We love our grandmas. What would it take to get to this point? Well, We don't have a lot of time to spend on this, and I don't want to pour too much energy into this anyway. I'm not worried about any of our grandmas, by the way, just for the record. But how does that happen? Well, one sin leads to another. When you give way to the devil, when you give place to the devil, you might think it's in a small way. You might think it's a little thing, but this is what the devil would love to do. He is a murderer. He is a liar. And what does he put in the hearts of his followers? Murder and lies to the point where family ties don't matter. Athaliah was apparently just as happy to kill a family member as to kill somebody else. If you choose 
the seed of the serpent. If you do not commit your life to Christ, if you do not seek to follow him, however stumblingly, but you don't give up on following him, that is essentially what you're choosing. That's the end point for those who embrace the serpent and the serpent's seed. Don't do that. Come over to the side of the seed of the woman. He's not murderous. He's righteous and just and life-giving. Amen.